Amen. Fantastic. Well, we're going to be um, looking, um, as we do each week, at something in the Bible in just a moment. Um, and how it is that God wants to speak to us today. But you know, as we look to the Bible, it actually connects us with the people who we've been remembering. It connects us with so many of those who went out to war in the First and the Second World Wars. Because part of the equipment that they were given alongside, you know, boots and uniforms and all of the rest of it is that they were each given a Bible to take with them when they were deployed. And um, we, let's just watch, we're just going to watch a short video um, which gets across to us something of what the Bible meant to so many of those um, who were deployed. So why don't we watch this together? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Peace and hope are things that all of us need, aren't they? You know, and it's in times of of grief, in times of trauma, in times of conflict that so often they're the hardest to find. 
You know, but what I love in the video that we just watched, what I, I love in the, what we heard from the, uh, the wife of the serviceman at the beginning of the service is how God moves in the midst of these times to work in our lives to bring us peace and hope. And if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, you know, or maybe you're right now, you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're just in a place where you, you, you feel like peace and, and hope is just something you don't have. God is wanting to reach out to you this morning and he is wanting to move in your heart. He's wanting to move into your life by his Holy Spirit to make peace and hope available to you today. And for those of you who are feeling like you're in a great place, for those of you who are feeling like you have peace and you have hope and we can rejoice in that, then my prayer for you today is that simply that as we focus in on something of his word and his truth, that your roots will go deeper. So that when the troubled times hit, so when there are those times where there is grief and conflict and trauma, you would not be shaken because you would know that you are grounded on a peace and a hope in Jesus that is certain and will never change. Something that is based on what he has done for us and that we can thank him for. You see, God doesn't want you just to know and to believe the right things. He wants our hearts to be transformed as we experience the peace and the hope that comes from having his presence with us in every day and every moment. And to help us get a hold of, of what we receive from Jesus when we invite him into our hearts and how this kind of comes with peace and with hope, we're going to look at some words that Paul writes for us in Romans 5 verses 1 to 11. It should pop up on the screen. This is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You know, there's so much in these verses that we could talk about. But if I had to boil it all down, I think Paul wants us to know that because of what Jesus has done, when we receive him, when we accept him, when we put our trust in him, we have peace and we have hope. He starts off by saying, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
And for us to understand why this is a big deal, we've first got to understand that this wasn't always the case. That without inviting Jesus into our lives, it still isn't the case. You see, in verse 10, Paul writes that Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. And if you look back at what Paul's been writing so far in the book of Romans leading up to these verses, he makes it really clear that we were created and we were designed to to live with God as our king. To be obedient to God. But that since the time of Adam and Eve, that moment when they said that They didn't want God to rule them. They they wanted to be like God and to be able to rule themselves. Since that moment, every single person has had this pull within them that draws them towards being king of their own life. Ruling their own lives. There is this selfishness in us which says, I want to live for my kingdom. Not for God's kingdom. And this heart attitude of living for ourselves puts us in conflict with God. Apart from Jesus, we are at war with God. Later in Romans 8 verse 7, Paul uh, talks about the sinful mind, this selfish mind that is pulled towards living for itself. And he describes it as a mind that is hostile to God. And this hostility is actually two-way. You know, in, in John 3, it's a, a chapter we, we so often we love because Jesus tells us how God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He tells us how he sent Jesus not to condemn the world but in order to, to save it. And this is wonderful truth that we celebrate. But in verse 36 of the same chapter, Jesus also says that while whoever believes in him shall have eternal life, that God's wrath remains on those who reject him. He doesn't say God's wrath comes on them when they reject him, but it remains on them. Because the starting point is that apart from Jesus, we are at war with God. We are enemies of God. But when we respond to Jesus and we make him our king, it's like we're we're in a courtroom standing trial for our war crimes. And in the moment that we make Jesus king, God declares over us the verdict, not guilty. And in that moment, the war between us and God is over. The obstacles of relationship are done away with. They're removed and we receive forgiveness and we're washed clean and of everything that we've ever done in the past, but also of everything that we ever will do in the future. The war is over and we have peace with God. And this is massive for us to get our heads around. In in some ways, this can become so familiar for many of us that we just kind of take it for granted. But it's massive for us to get our heads around. As followers of Jesus. Because as believers, if you don't understand what you already have and what has already been done. And that you already have peace with God. That the war is already over. 
then you will live in fear and insecurity and a sense of uncertainty about where you stand with God. You'll either feel like you've got something that you, you need to, to do. It's almost like in the courtroom, you, you, you feel like the verdict that, that kind of God gives out, the declaration that he makes over you is that you need to do community service. You've got to, to do these different things to try and make up for the wrong things that you did. Or maybe whenever you make a, a mistake, you, you, you feel like there's this barrier between you and God that needs to be dealt with again and again and again. And when you have this uncertainty about your standing with God, it gives the enemy a field day. You see, the enemy would love for you to doubt and to forget about what God has done for you and where you stand. Because being justified through faith, being at peace with God because of what Jesus has done is the basis for all of the work that God wants to do in you and through you. When you sit down and you spend time with God, or when you come along to church, maybe when you came along this morning, you experience this because it can happen so often as we're looking to put ourselves in a place where we're going to be meeting with God. The enemy might come and he starts to wave your sin in front of your face. It starts to wave your mistakes in front of your, your face and your selfishness in front of your face. And he whispers to you, how can you go to church? How, how can you worship? You're a hypocrite. Why would he listen to you? You were, you were just arguing with your family a moment ago. How can you come into that place with smiles on your face? And if you don't understand the fullness of what Jesus has done for you, not just up here, but in here in your heart, then you won't experience the fullness of peace with God. And it will make your worship a battle. And it will hold you back from receiving the fullness of what God wants to work in your life. You need to first understand in your mind and then have it drop into your heart to such an extent that while you know you still make mistakes, while you, you know you're not perfect, while you know that actually moments before you walked through the door you were having an argument in the car, that, the, that, that none of that changes the way God sees you. None of that changes where you stand before him. None of that changes that God has forgiven you and that you have peace with him. We need to understand both in our heads and in our hearts what Jesus has done for us and how, our, how every wrong thing that we've ever done and ever will do has been dealt with. And it's gone. It's been removed from us. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus. That God has declared us to be clean. That God looks on us and he doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't hold it against you. And he's not dragging it up again and again what it is that you did last week. So don't let the enemy do that to you. And please don't do it to yourself. When you surrender to Jesus as your king, 
You are justified through faith and the war is over. You have peace with God. So however good or bad your day has been and however good or bad you feel you have been, you can come to God and you can worship him and you can enter into his presence and you can receive from him because you have peace with God, not based on anything that you do or how well you manage to live your life, but based on what Jesus has already done. And this peace with God is the foundation then for every other type of peace that we experience and we look for and we long for in our lives. And because it's about what Jesus has done, this, is, this peace cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken from us. It can't be rocked by our circumstances. You know, so often one of the first things that somebody says to me after they give their lives to Jesus is that they have this experience of, of peace and like a settledness and a, just a contentment in their heart that wasn't there before. And, and you know, that makes complete sense. Because... You know from your own experience that if you are in conflict with someone who you love, that it impacts on every area of your life. That every area of your life just feels wrong. And when we're in conflict with God as the one who we've been created and designed to be in this love relationship with, it impacts every area of our lives. And so when we have peace with God, that impacts every area of our lives. And suddenly these things which we don't feel like we're connected with God, we just have this peace and this settledness and this contentment right across the board. Simply because we've got peace with God. This conflict has been ended So let me encourage you, in those times when you are struggling to find peace, whatever it's to do with, you might feel like it's entirely unrelated because this is the foundation for every type of peace you can experience. In those times when peace seems hard to find, the greatest thing that you can do is look to the cross to remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you because that is the foundation from which you can know peace the foundation of peace that you can have regardless of your circumstances. The wonderful thing is that Paul doesn't just stop there. He says that when we receive what Jesus has done for us, we receive so much more than just peace. So much more than just an an end to hostility. So much more than just that the the conflict is, is over. Because when we receive Jesus, when we are justified, we are not only forgiven, we are not only get this declaration in the courtroom of not guilty, but Jesus, he says that he also clothes us in his righteousness. And he says, now, in that courtroom, you get to stand there and take credit for my perfection. Isn't that just an astounding thought? And so as we stand trial, God doesn't just look out at us. And as we stand trial for our war crimes, God's declaration isn't just not guilty. His declaration over you is you are perfect. You are holy. You are blameless. His declaration over you is that you are his son. You are his daughter. And that you can come into his presence as your father, with him as your father and all of the blessings that he wants to give you are yours. 
And so when we surrender to Jesus as our king, not only do we receive peace, but we also get access to God. It's like Jesus, he takes us by the hand and he takes us to go and introduce us to the father. And he says, dad, this is Pete. Pete has just put his faith in what I did on the cross. He believes in me. And he has made me king. And now he's been clothed in my righteousness. So dad, I want you to treat him now like you'd treat me. Do you know the father looks at you? And his heart for you and his desire to bless you is with the same passion and the same conviction and the same commitment as it is for Jesus. We're not just at peace with God. It's not just that the war is over. But God delights in you and he delights to bless you. You know, I don't think I've even begun to comprehend that. I just it's, it's so far above and beyond. It's just one of those things that just long for God to help to settle in my heart in such a greater way. So I think if we will get hold of that, it changes everything. You know, just think about it for a moment. Think about the times when you come to God in prayer. Do you approach him with the confidence and the certainty that he delights in you? And that his heart's desire is to bless you. That his heart responds to you in the same way it responds to Jesus. Because that's the truth of it. Not only is the war over, but you have nothing to prove. You don't need to prove yourself to God. You don't have to spend your time with God feeling like you're not good enough. Like, oh, I've not spent time with you for the last kind of few days, God, and I'm feeling pretty bad, and I'm sorry, and I'm here, and I'll do better next time. You could be in the middle of an argument and feeling like you're getting it all wrong, and you can still look to God and pray in that moment, and you have just as much access to his heart to bless you as at any other time. Because when he looks on you, he sees Jesus. And his heart is moved for you, and he delights in you, and he wants to bless you. So we have access to the Father and to the abundance of His grace and His love. And we get an amazing glimpse of God's love for us in these verses. I don't know if it, if it hit you as, as we were reading through them, but Paul writes in verse 8 that God demonstrates, He puts on display and shows us His love by the fact that we were, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his, his love by being willing to sacrifice himself for us while we were his enemies, while we were in hostility, while this conflict was going on. If you want to grow in your understanding of God's love for you, then look to the cross. Think about and meditate on what Jesus has done for you. But you know what blows me away in, in these verses is in verse 10, 
Paul unpacks this and he says what this means for us as followers of Jesus. This is what he says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is what I get from this. Essentially, if God loved us to such an extent that he would sacrifice himself, that he would die in our place at the time when we were enemies, how much more does God desire to bless us and to put his love into action now that we're his children? Isn't that an amazing thought? That if the extent to which God would love you and put his love into action to bless you would lead him to send Jesus to die on the cross while you were his enemies. Now that you're his child, how much more does God want to put his love into action for you so that you can be blessed? God loves you and his heart is for you. And he wants you to stand in his love, to have his love poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit so that you would experience and know what it is to be his child. What it is to know his grace, his favor, his blessing, his excessive kindness in your life. Knowing that he is for you and his promises that he will supply all, all you need according to the riches of his glory. Just... Just ponder that for a moment. The Almighty God, the creator of the universe, loves you and is for you. And he puts his love into action for you every day. He's there. We have access to God. We've got the tickets that allow us to enter into his blessing, to enter into his presence. So why do we sit on the outside sometimes going, Lord, I'd love to come in. I'm sorry that I've, I've not been spending time with you. I'm sorry that I've not been doing this. I'd love to, to come in when the ticket's been given. The access has been provided. Not based on what you do, but because of what Jesus has done. You know, sometimes when someone says and they talk about how much they, they love you or they start saying how amazing you are, you know, they make a little comment afterwards, don't they? And they say yeah, something like, you know, I love you, but don't let it go to your head. You know, when, when Paul is writing here and he says to us, you know, God loves you and he's for you and he wants to bless you and he thinks you're amazing. Do you know what Paul says? Let it go to your head. Let it go to your heart. Let it begin to stir up something inside of you of peace and hope and joy. Let it become something that makes you feel amazing and say, God loves me. And so that you boast in it. So you want to tell other people about it. Because once you were at war with God and now you have peace with him. Once you were his enemy and now is your father. You're his precious child and you have access to him. And when we get hold of these things, 
We can't help but be in that place that Paul talks about where he he talks about how we boast in the hope that we have in God. When we understand that not only in our head, but in our heart, how can we not? You know, we get so excited sometimes, don't we? The latest phone comes out and we get this new phone and, you know, we can't help but we want to show people what it does and talk about how amazing it is and the great photos that it takes. Or we get a new car and, uh, you know, we, we, someone comes round and we say, hey, come and have a look. Or, you know, we, we enter into a new relationship. If you're younger with a new girlfriend or a boyfriend and you just can't but tell people about how great they are and how much you're enjoying them and this and that and the next thing. We boast in the things that we delight in. How much more once we get hold of, not in our heads, but in our hearts, all that we have in Jesus, will it move us to that place where we can't help but boast in him? For the fact that we have hope in God, not only for the future, but in the present. And the word that, that, that when the Bible talks about hope, it's not in the way that we talk about hope. When we say that we hope for something, it's kind of a hope the weather's going to be good and it's just wishful thinking. We've got no control over it. We don't really know what's going to happen. When the Bible talks about hope, it is talking about a certainty. It's talking about something we can be confident in, that we know is going to happen. When, we, when the Bible talks about, about hope, it's something that, that we can stand on and stand in, and we can say, I know my God is for me, and that he loves me, and that the best is yet to come. No matter what. In those moments when your car breaks down and the unexpected bills start coming in, in those moments when you're having issues with your, your husband or your wife or with your boss. In those moments when there's a breakdown of relationship with a, a friend. Remind yourself in those moments that you have hope in God. Remind yourself in those moments that, that this life is not the main event. That the best is yet to come. And when we get hold of this, it changes everything. When we get hold of what Jesus has done for us, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. We have a peace and we have a hope and we have a joy that cannot be shaken. And Paul talks, doesn't he? He talks about how our hope is in the glory of God. And that seems a bit of a strange statement, doesn't it? And I think what he's trying to get at here and what he is talking about is that when our hearts are captured with who God is, we realize that he is our hope. You know, we were singing it earlier, weren't we? We were singing, show us your glory. Show us your, your glory. Show us something more of, of who you are. And if you think about Moses, Moses, when he was um, spending days and days in the tent of meeting with God, talking with him face to face, you'd have the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire would come down and he was in God's presence. And yet just after that, we read his prayer and he says, praise God, show me your glory. I've seen something of it. I've talked with you. We've been in your presence, but Lord, I want more. I've tasted it's good. But my hope is in your glory because there's nothing like it. Show me your glory. 
Jesus, when he's praying for us, when he's praying for those who will believe in him in the future, when he's praying for you and me in John 17, prays that we would see his glory. God wants you to see something more of who he is. To see his glory to such an extent that your heart is captured by who he is. So that you have hope in him in the present and in the future. Because when you know him, when you see him more fully, nothing compares and everything else is put into perspective. And Paul says, when we have peace with God and access to his grace and his love, and we see something of his glory, we know that the best is yet to come. It transforms the way we are able to face our trials, the way we face our sufferings and our difficult times. He says, when we get this, and then we we come to a time of, of suffering that we go through, it starts a chain reaction. In the midst of suffering, as we hold fast to God and his promises and who he is, the hope we have in him, as we hold fast to God, then we we persevere. And he says as we persevere, it forms something of our character and matures us and grows us and leads us back into hope. And our hope grows even stronger. And Paul promises that this hope will not disappoint because God loves us. And he is with us and he has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. You see, when we come to to Jesus, we find peace with God. But peace with God, you and I, we know, does not necessarily mean peace with other people. And it does not necessarily mean peace in our circumstances. You know, in the tragedy of of war and conflict that we remember today, in the challenges that we face in our own lives, we know that the reality of this world is that we still face suffering, we still face struggles, we still face conflict. And we see as we read through the Bible, it doesn't hide this from us. It talks openly about it and that this is just as much the case for the, the people then, of the people of God in the Bible that we read about as it is for us. What we find in God's word is that he is at work in the midst of it. That he is with us in the midst of it. That he loves us and he is for us even in the midst of it. And so we can have a peace and we can have hope in him. Because we know that because of all that Jesus has done, best is yet to come. It's not all about this life. It's not the main event. And so when our our hope in the things in this life are shaken, when when we we start to to kind of question and doubt and go, go, oh God, where are you? How can you let this happen? What's going on? When we wonder where God is in the midst of it, Paul says, look to the cross. Look as God demonstrates his love for you that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And if he died for you when you were his enemies, how much more does he want to love you and bless you and work in your life now that you're his children? 
look to the cross. Because our peace and our hope are grounded in what Jesus has done for us. We're going to come to communion in a moment, and communion is another time of remembrance, isn't it? As we remember the greatest sacrifice ever made. As God, our creator, took on the frailties of human mortality and willingly died in our place in order to pay the price that was needed to bring an end to the war. To make peace with him possible. The war is over. The victory is won. We can stand firm in who God declares us to be. But in order for us to receive that peace with God, in order for us to receive access to God's love and grace, to hope in him, we have to choose to stop fighting for our own way. We have to choose to stop fighting to rule our own lives. And we have to surrender. That's how wars end, isn't it? We have to surrender. And we have to make Jesus king. And if you're here this morning and, you know, as a, a follower of Jesus, you, you want to come and you take communion, let it be a reminder to you of all of the blessings that you have in Jesus. Because you've surrendered to him. Because you've made him king. That God not only declares over you that you're washed clean and you're not guilty, but he declares over you, you're perfect. And I delight in you and I love you. I'm for you. Let the amazing love of God that drove him to action, to die in your place while you were his enemy, just sink into your heart and hit you in a fresh way. Let him begin to show you how much more does he want to work in your life and to bless you now that you're his child. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, then I'm thrilled that you're here and it's great to have you here. And I believe that you're here on purpose because God is reaching out to you today and he's offering you a peace treaty. And he says, here are the terms of the treaty. I will give you every blessing that I have if you will surrender. And surrender sounds like a scary word, doesn't it? But it's the best decision that you can ever make. Nothing compares to the decision to surrender to God, to make him king, to begin to experience the peace that comes with the end of that conflict. To know his forgiveness and to know his love. To have hope in him, not only now but for eternity. And if you want to make that decision to surrender to God today, then I want to encourage you to, as your way of responding, as your way of saying, I surrender, I accept those terms. And come and share in communion. As your way of saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm coming to you and making you king. And I'd love for you then just to, to let me know or to share with someone who you came with because we'd love to just to pray with you and encourage you as you kind of start that journey. 
And if you're not really sure, if you're still kind of asking questions, but you want to find out more, then um, again, grab me. I'd love to chat with you. And we've got some great little books called Why Jesus that we'd love to give you so you can read a bit more about who Jesus is and what he's done and how it is that he, he wants to, to bring, make peace and hope available to you today. Why don't we come and take time just to look to the cross. If the band could come up and be ready to play, that would be great.